Well, good morning. I'm so glad to see you there. We have an amazing speaker this morning. Very handsome, very smart, very erudite. Um, uh, uh, silliness. Actually, um, I'm super duper excited about um, this message. This message was actually super transformative for me as I was studying and preparing. So I pray that it would be awesome. Um, Super excited about this. So let me just uh, open. We're going to pray and then we're going to dive right into um, taking the Lord's name in vain, which seems like a kind of a silly thing to spend 41 minutes talking about. Um, sorry, it's not going to be 41 minutes. It's going to be more like 62. Um, <laughs> get ready. So let's pray real quick. And um, we're going to open God's word and talk about God's word. And I'm excited about that. So let's, God, please... Um, I was just so inspired by just the words that we sang this morning um, and the beauty of how you can do incredible things through, through just common folk. Your incredible invitation to, to join you as you do amazing things in this world, to reclaim your broken and fragmented world with, with us. And we're very broken and we're very foolish sometimes. And your love does not abate one ounce. It's astonishing. So thanks for that. Speak clearly through your spirit. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So commandment three is weird. We've been going through the Ten Commandments. Uh, last week we looked at the final one, ten, so we're going to go back to three. We're kind of skipping around. Um, commandment three, uh, I was always confused as a kid uh, when I heard the Ten Commandments because this is a list of things that are really, really important to God. He only gives ten. I got ten. It's like David Letterman's top ten list of things God wants humans to know. And like the first couple make a ton of sense. Uh, the last murder, that's, that's, that's a big deal. Adultery, stealing, killing, lying. And then in the middle of this is this weird one that says, don't take the Lord's name in vain. And I was told that that's saying, oh my gosh. And, you know, saying, oh my God, instead of, oh my gosh. And so I was really confused why that's on the list with killing, murder, and adultery. Because it seems like a little bit of an overkill. Like, what's the big deal, right? What's the big deal? Why is that such a big deal? And then later on, I heard other adults use um, the name of Jesus in really weird ways. You know? You know what I'm talking about? Like, and you see that sometimes. And I thought, oh, that makes a little bit more sense. But still, on a list of 10 important things, what's going on with this? And why is it such a big deal? And so I just glossed over it for, you know, a long time because I... Didn't care. Um, and so it says here in the, ten, in the third commandment, when, when God is giving these to Moses, he says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So what exactly does it mean to take the Lord's name in vain? Is it to say OMG on a text string? Or is it something more? Now, obviously, just saying uh, something like OMG doesn't seem to be on the same plane. How is that spiritually dangerous? Then I encountered the work of Dallas Willard, who's a philosopher, the former head of um, USC's head of uh, philosophy, an incredible Christian thinker. Um, And he had a definition of using God's name in vain, which has stuck with me. He said it this way, taking the Lord's name in vain is to speak or think or imagine God as being less than he actually is. Now that makes a lot of sense. And that happens all the time. 
This is convicting to me. So for example, if you worry, in some ways you're taking God's name in vain. What, you don't imagine that God has your back? That he doesn't care for you? You think that he has promised in the gospels, especially Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, to take care of sparrows and lilies and fields, but you're somehow not as valuable to him. Everyone else is, but not you. And so worry enters. It's taking his name in vain, isn't it? But there's a problem with God's name in vain, and that's the name, that's the name thing. And so we're going to spend a little time this morning talking about the name of God because it's important, because I think we have to be precise about this, because God, this idea of God, the word God, I think has, we have to be precise about this. Let me give you an example. When I was a high school English teacher, I came out here to California. I'm from Ohio, which again, a great place to be from. And I moved out here. Now in Ohio, it's Midwest, right? So there's a general Protestant ethic. It's rather homogenous. And I move out to California and I'm teaching. In my classroom, I have all these students from all sorts of different places. So if I were to say in my English class, when we have these discussions or when we read a book or a piece of literature and somebody says God, when I say the word God, there are students in my classroom who are from the Philippines, or from Mexico. And so their conception has to do with the Roman Catholic persuasion because that's what their families were grown up in. And so when I say the word God, that's what comes to their mind, their experiences with this word God in the Roman Catholic context. Meanwhile, I've got students from Indonesia, the largest Muslim country in the entire world. And when I say the word God to them, their ideas of God are distinctly different. Meanwhile, I have other students from Eritrea and Somalia, and they're actually first-generation immigrants. So when I say the word God to them, something very specific in their Muslim context, which is different than the Indonesian Muslim context, comes up in their mind. I have students from India and students from Pakistan. And when I say the word God to them, depending if they're northern Indian or Southern Indian, the gods are incredibly different in the regional gods. So they have an entirely different conception of what the word God might mean. I have a student who is Japanese. So when I said the word God, he's like, I don't know about religion, but I guess I'm Buddhist because I'm Japanese because everyone in my country is, is Buddhist. So I guess I'm Buddhist. So he has a conception of the word God. There are students who grew up in the Bay Area where only 2 to 4% of people actually attend a church, uh, an evangelical church. And so they have no concept of God. And so they're kind of atheist or they're kind of agnostic. So when they say the word God, they think about something entirely different than those other students who grew up in religious context. The point is, when I say the word God, so many different things come to mind that I think to their core that we're actually not all talking about the same thing it's so confusing and so varied in its definitions so wildly different across the spectrum that when i say the word god what comes into your mind what comes into my mind might be entirely different especially in a place like the bay area and this was new to me because i grew up in ohio and that just didn't happen in ohio again a great place to be from so what do we do with this so I started thinking about it, and it's like this. This is my buddy, David Kim. He's a coworker, he's a colleague, he's a good friend. David Kim. And if I said to you, hey, do you know David Kim? You might say, sure. But how do we know we're talking about the same David Kim? Because the thing is, the name David Kim is actually pretty popular in the Bay Area. He, for example, if you went to San Jose, there's more than 30 David Kims. In Milpitas, more than 150. Do not go to Sunnyvale and yell out David Kim. 
because they are awash with David Kim. Sunnyvale is crawling with David Kim's. So when I say the name David Kim, what you think and what comes into your mind might be entirely different than what I mean. This means that Christians, us, you and I, have to be incredibly precise when we use the word, the name God. Because we're not all talking about the same thing. Now, how in practical terms would I identify which David Kim I am talking about? Well, I would say his name, and then I would tell you his story. First, his name's Jang David Kim. He was born in Korea. His dad came over to New York City when he was young. And so he came to New York City when he was two. He lived in New York City for most of his young life. Then he went to college in Boston. Then he came out to California, met his wife. And they have two beautiful children, two daughters, Zoe and Harper. Skylar, Skylar, wrong one. Yep, my daughter just shook her head. She was like, no, wrong name. That's his story. That's him. That's the David Kim I'm talking about. I have to be specific about name and story. And in the same way, when I say the word God in our culture, I have to be specific about name and story. I'm going to show you how this is so important in the Old and in the New Testament. There's this moment in Scripture when God actually begins to introduce himself to humanity. Remember, if God doesn't introduce himself to us, we have no way to know about him. We're just guessing. Does that make sense? If God doesn't reveal himself, we're just guessing. Now, we can, just, we can devise some things about God. He's really creative. He loves color. He loves diversity in life. I mean, we could, and, and there's also something dangerous about nature, right? So we could devise some things, but not very much, not about what he's like. So as he's introducing himself to humanity, very early in the story, in the, in the, in the Bible, in Exodus chapter 3, he has this encounter with this man named Moses. And this encounter is one of the most important in all of the scriptures. If, if the stories of the Bible, all of it, were a mountain range, this moment is one of the highest peaks in the entirety of scripture. This moment is crucially important. The Jewish people thought so, and I think we can too if we delve into it and see what's going on here because it helps us be more precise about what it means not to take God's name in vain and what his name actually means. Here's the story. It's there in Exodus 3, chapter 6. I have it on the screen, but it's also there in your Bible, which is where I copied and pasted it from. Thank you for that. Now, what happens is, uh, you know the story. Uh, Moses has grown up in the Egyptian kingdom where they have hundreds and hundreds of gods. He's actually very important. He's, he's, he's a prince. He's very powerful. He's sitting there and um, he starts to have a crisis inside of him. Like, who am I? What am I going to do? Um, am I Jewish? Am I not? He under, uh, sees some things in his local government in, in the kingdom that he doesn't like. To, he doesn't like. He realizes that Pharaoh is an impressive bully who's just tyrannical and murderous. So, so he kills a guy and then runs away because that's what you do when you do something bad. You run away. He runs out into the desert and he's out there. And for all he knows, that's where he's going to be for the rest of his life. He becomes a shepherd. And while he's out there, something happens. God... This particular God wants to talk to him, wants to communicate with him, wants to reveal something about who he is. So there's a bush that's on fire. And Moses is out there. Now, this is not uncommon. In the Sinai Peninsula, lightning would cause brush fires probably semi-frequently. 
But he stares at this bush, and for a while, something's interesting about this bush. It doesn't actually get consumed by the fire. So he stares at it. So you know the story. God calls him over, and then this is the exchange that they have. Um, <laughs> Moses is like, okay, something crazy is happening. Like, who? what's going on? Obviously, some, something more than human is talking to me. But Moses doesn't know what's going on. And then he said, you know, who are you? And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So there's this encounter where Moses is basically saying, hey, burning bush, who are you? Like, who's talking to me? I don't get, this is frightening and weird and scary. He had no concept of the word aliens, right? So he doesn't know what that is. Like what's something crazy and supernatural is happening to Moses. And it's frightening because some voice is talking through a bush. This is weird and not common. And so he's like, who are you? And this voice says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses is afraid to look at God. Again, whenever somebody encounters this stuff in human stories, um, they're always afraid, right? Because something supernatural is breaking into the natural world. And this is terrifying to us. What's going on? I thought I was in control. I'm going to break this down a little bit because this is important. This word God is really important. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, he hid his face because he's afraid to look at God. Now, this word God is really interesting in the Hebrew. The word is Elohim. And the word Elohim is a very generic word. It's a very generic Hebrew word meaning deity or God or gods. Now, Moses would have heard this word because Egypt had hundreds of gods. You've seen them. You've seen temples to these ancient gods. You've seen temples to Ra, the sun god. You've seen temples to their, to their, to their leaders who they believed were gods. There's the god of the Nile, the god of the sun, the god of the crops, the god of the animals, the god of the, of the, of the, all sorts of different gods, hundreds of different gods. Egypt had lots of Elohim, lots of Elohim. There was Elohim all over the place. And so basically the question isn't, are you an Elohim? The question is, what, which Elohim are you? Do you see the difference? This is a generic Hebrew word. So basically, if we go back and we replace this word, it says, I am the Elohim of your father, the Elohim of Abraham, the Elohim of Isaac, the Elohim of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at this Elohim. So what kind of Elohim is it? Again, we use the word God so generically. What kind of Elohim? And this is where the story gets really interesting. The idea of, of, of there being an Elohim It's not new to Moses. There's lots of Elohim. They built temples to Elohim. There's Elohim all over the place in Egypt. But this Elohim is saying, no, 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 I'm different than the other Elohim. Pay attention. So what does he say to Moses? Well, the first thing he says is, I am the Elohim of Isaac, of your father. I'm the Elohim of Abraham. I'm the Elohim of Isaac. I'm the Elohim of Jacob. Basically, what this Elohim is saying is, I have a long history with particular people. I am this particular local Elohim, and I've had interactions with Abraham and with Isaac and Jacob. I've got a history, and I've interacted in human history. I've got a story that is planted in human history. This is very important. I'm not an idea, I'm not a distant Elohim. I'm an Elohim that's interacted with humans before. 
and I have a history with them. And if you want to know more about me, you should study this history. And I have specific historical interactions with these people. But it goes even further. In Exodus 3, 7, he says this. I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. Now we have more information. What kind of Elohim is this? This is the kind of Elohim who sees and hears the suffering of these people. And not only that, in Exodus 3, 8, it says, So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. Now this is crucially important. What kind of Elohim is this? This is an Elohim of specific human interactions with specific people in history with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he has seen and he has heard. This Elohim has seen and heard the suffering of his people. And he hasn't just seen and heard it, although that would be beautiful enough. An Elohim that is attentive to human misery and suffering is pretty beautiful. But it's not enough for him just to hear and see the suffering. He says, I have come down to rescue Metropolis is no different if Superman just hears and sees the cries of the people against Lex Luthor. He needs to come down and remove Lex and save the people. Do you see the difference? It's beautiful that God sees and hears, but it's crucial that he moves and acts if he has any power whatsoever. Now we'll see that in a little bit, but this is important. He says, I've seen, I've heard, I have come down. So this is an Elohim that comes down and wants to rescue his people from an evil, oppressive empire. Pretty nuts. This Elohim is different than the Egyptian gods. Remember, the Egyptian gods that he saw, Moses saw, were used and their names were used to enforce slave labor and the disastrous murder of Hebrew babies. That's what those Elohim were about. Those Elohim were about enslaving. Those Elohim were about forced manual labor. Those Elohim were about killing for the sake of control of a whole people group. So this Elohim is different. He sees, he hears, and he comes down to act, which is incredible. He sees the cries of his people and he acts. This Elohim is different than anything that Moses has ever heard about. But it goes even further. In Exodus 3, 11, and Moses said to God, this Elohim, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And this Elohim, this God said, well, I'll be with you. So this is brand new information. This is an Elohim that not only had specific interactions with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not only saw and heard his people's cries in slavery, and not only has come down, which is incredible, and wants to rescue his people, but now he says, I want to use you, Moses, and I will go with you. Now, I will be with you. This word that's used here is kind of a weird word. Will be is actually uh, future tense. But this verb is not just future tense in Hebrew. Hebrew is a very complex language. But this word will be with you is the same word in the future tense as it is in the present tense. So really it should be translated, I am with you and I will be with you. And going forward, I will continue to be with you. So do you see it's not just present, I'm going to be with you. 
It's not like this, this Elohim isn't saying, hey, someday I'm going to be with you. Or when you go to Pharaoh, I'll be with you then. It's all wrapped up linguistically, and I am with you now. I will be with you in the future, and I will continue to be with you. This is what this word means. This is why linguistics is so important in the Bible, because it's not just some future tense. It's present and future and future conditional. It's all of those. I am, I will be, and I will be with you. This is incredible. So this Elohim is somehow different than the other Elohim or distinct from the other Elohim is that he actually would go with Moses to accomplish something big. Now, this is incredible. So we continue on in the story. And in Exodus 3, God continues and Moses kind of shoots back because he's a man of many questions. I mean, this is, to be fair to Moses, it's okay to ask for clarification at this point, right? Um, What's going on? What am I going to do? And who are you? Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God, the Elohim of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? Now, a, a small note here. Some of you might be tripping up on the idea that there's lots of Elohim out there. Like, what are you saying? Isn't there just one true God? This is not how the ancient Jews would have thought about it. There's so many ancient gods, right? There's so many ancient gods. Now, we're modern people, so they're silly, right? But we don't have gods. For example, we don't build temples in the middle of Santa Clara and have 100,000 people come there to bow down and yell and scream every Sunday while people throw an oblong ball. We don't do that. There's no gods here. It's a weird god that loses sometimes. Anyway. Calm down, Raiders fans. You lose sometimes too. The point is we have... Oh, now I've, now I've lost all the audience. Okay. Uh, the point is there are gods here too, right? For example, there's a god in the Bay Area that's very specific, that's very unique to the Bay Area. It's called productivity. You are valuable if you produce. And there's a weird kind of quasi-egalitarian to it. It doesn't matter what color or race or creed or belief you are. As long as you produce, we'll keep you around. But the second you don't, you're cut. Your worth is in what you produce. And this insidious God devours whole lives. And I have seen man and woman sacrifice their children on the altar of productivity. Haven't you? Don't tell me we don't have gods here. We have gods. There's another God, the God of green. People worship it. They do everything they can to get it. You've seen it. You've seen it. We have gods here. We have gods. So this idea of multiple gods in the world operating and vying for the allegiance of humans might seem ancient and stupid and superstitious, but we're no different than they are. We just call them by different names, like recreation or 401k productivity, earnings calls. The point is, this is what's going on here. And so Moses says, who are you? Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God Elohim of your fathers has sent me. And they ask me, what's his name? What am I going to tell them? Now here comes this crucial moment. What is this Elohim? Because Elohims have names, right? Ra, the sun God. You've seen these gods, right? Hades, Zeus, ancient world so they name gods that's what we do so what's this god's name what he says is fascinating 
He says, go, God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now, in your Bibles, you'll see it's all in all caps. Have you seen that before? Sometimes in your Bible, this word is, is translated as L-O-R-D, all caps. Have you seen that? You've seen that, right? It's all caps and it's weird. It's a different sort of print. Just like sometimes in the New Testament, the words of Jesus are in red. In the Old Testament, this name, this I am who I am, this L-O-R-D is always capitalized. Why? What's going on? This word is called the tetragrammaton. And to the, Jew, the Jewish people, to the Hebrews, this was a crucial defining moment in human history where this Elohim revealed his specific name. His name to them, he said, and the, and the word tetragrammaton, tetra meaning four, gramma meaning words, consisting of four letters. Now, tetragrammaton might seem like a futuristic robot sent to save the world, but it's not. Let me, it's called the divine name. The divine name, and Hebrew people held this in such high regard, they would not even write it down. Sometimes they wouldn't even say it. The word in Hebrew, that this, this is, is echeye. Say that with me. Say e, he. Yay. Let's say it again. A. Hey. Yay. Echeye. This is the name of God. This is what he said. This is I am who I am. Now, let's break down this Hebrew because this is fantastically interesting. This word, sometimes translated as Lord, is used 6,000 times in the Old Testament. If you did a word cloud and took every single word besides articles and, a, and the prepositions, and you just took all the words and you made the bigger the word, the more often it's used. The word Lord is used more times in the Old Testament than any other word by a factor of six. 6,000 times this name of God is used. It's very, very, very important. When God speaks, it's important. When his prophets speak for him, it's very important, right? This is what's going on. Echeye, this word, Lord, I am who I am. All caps, I am who I am. All caps, L-O-R-D, is very important. But what does this name mean? Translated into English, remember that word, I am with you? I am isn't just I am. Remember, it's both I am and I will be and I always will be, right? So this name means I am, I will be, and I will continue to be always what I am, I will be, I will continue to be. Now, this is a weird thing to say. Now, here's how we can describe it. God is saying, I am always what I am. Now, why is this important? This is important because we as humans are not always what we are. Our character is fluid, it changes, and we are inconsistent. An example, I am awesome, sometimes. I am hilarious, sometimes. I am kind, sometimes. I'm a good dad, except when I'm not. I'm a loyal friend. Most of the time, we're inconsistent. We are inconsistent. We are, you and I are only sometimes what we are. And the other times we're not. We are inconsistent. If you doubt me, 
young people especially, you got to pay attention to this because there will come a time when you'll get out of the house and you'll have a friend and you'll be like, man, you are awesome all the time. Let's go get an apartment together, live together, maybe in college or afterwards, and it'll be awesome, and we will have fun, and it, you'll be awesome all the time, and I'll be awesome all the time, and then you will come home one day after a hard day's work of eight to ten hours, and you will have nothing more in your mind than the joy of that thing of ice cream in the freezer and you will find that your awesome friend who's awesome all the time ate your ice cream without your permission and you will think to yourself oh no you didn't you are not awesome all the time the closer you get to someone the more you see their inconsistencies that they are not always what they are Young people especially, I want to pay attention to this too. Someday you'll meet someone and you'll go on a date and you'll stare across at the table with some food product there and you'll look at them and you'll think, you are awesome. You are so awesome. I bet you are awesome all the time. (laughs) And you'll say, because you're so awesome and so awesome all the time, I'm going to marry you. And you're going to be awesome all the time. And then you'll get married. And you will realize they're not awesome all the time. (laughs) We're not, right? We are not awesome all the time. We are not always what we are. We have bad days. We are inconsistent. And we are terrible. You and I as humans, I don't care who you are, you are not always what you are. But this Elohim says to Moses... In my name, in my self-definition, I need you to understand something, Moses. I am always what I am. Now, here's the crazy thing about that. What is the very first question that races to your mind if this Elohim were to say, I am always what I am? What's the very next question? Well, then what are you? Do you see how even in the name of Yahweh there is an invitation to come and find out? I said earlier, I'm with you. Come with me. And as you go with me, you will find out what I am like. So when God says, I am just, he's not just sometimes. He's not just sort of. He is just all the time, which means every act of injustice committed against anyone, God sees and wants that fixed. When God says, I am merciful, he is not merciful when he feels like it, when it is convenient to him. He is merciful always. His mercies are new every morning like the sun, and they don't give out like the sun. He is always merciful. When he says he is forgiving, he is not sometimes forgiving. He does not hold grudges. He is always, to his core, his essence is forgiveness. This God, this Elohim, is like nothing else. You ever read the Iliad or the Greeks? You read their descriptions of their gods? They are very much like us. They are inconsistent and foolish and whimsical. They are like us. But this Elohim, he is somehow always what he is. Now, in his mouth, in this Elohim's mouth, it's 
Eheye. But Moses cannot say Eheye because to say Eheye is to say, I am always what I am, and that's not true about Moses. So he has to change it. He changes it linguistically to say he, this Elohim, is always what he will be. And this word in Hebrew is Yahweh. One of the most important words in the entirety of scripture. He is always what he is. And so there's a brand new bit of information about this Elohim. Not only has he had historical interactions, not only has he seen and heard the suffering of his people, not only has he come down, not only will he rescue, not only is he with Moses, not only will he always be with Moses, not only is he always what he is, he will not change. And in that, there is an incredible invitation to Moses. Here's the invitation. The invitation is the same to Moses as it is to you and I, which is this. I've seen your suffering. I am with you. Come get to know me. This is the invitation to Moses. And it takes him on a wild ride, doesn't it? He finds out that this Elohim not only acts, but goes to extraordinary measures to free people from things they cannot free themselves from. We see in this story of this Elohim that this Elohim is different from all other Elohim that Moses had ever encountered. This Elohim not only is with his people, but he will save and rescue them. So when Dallas Willard says, taking the Lord's name in vain is to speak or to think or imagine God as being less than he actually is. This means that you and I have to do the same hard work that Moses did, which is get to know this Elohim in his beauty, in his strength, in the fact that he is with you. We, you and I, must be precise in our language about this God, but we also must be precise in our depth and understanding of the character of this God because this God is beautiful. Moses would find out that he would do for the Israelites things that they could never do free them from oppressors against which they had no hope that he would provide for them everything they needed that when they complained that he would burn in anger but he would forgive them and then when they were unfaithful to him when he had every right to break his covenant and his promise because the people of israel broke their promise When he burned in anger against the Israelites, he could have just walked away. He could have justly just said, forget you guys. And he did not because something was bigger in his heart. And that was his love for his people. He wouldn't even let their unfaithfulness taint his faithfulness. This is what Moses learned from this God. And so much more, so much more. We must be students of this God. And his name is an invitation to know him and to represent him and to find out more about him and to travel with him and to grow every day in our knowledge of this incredible God. Which means, if you're young, Yahweh is saying, please journey with me. For the rest of your days, it'll never be boring, it'll never be old, and I promise it'll be adventure of a lifetime 
And if you're older, this Yahweh is saying, oh, you ain't seen nothing yet. I've got so much more, so much more that you can find out about me. This is incredible. Final thought. There's a man named Paul who was trying to convince his audience, his Jewish audience, about this. Pay attention to what Paul says. He says, For although there may be many so-called Elohim in heaven and on earth, as indeed there are many Elohim, many lords, Paul's saying, you look around in the ancient world, I see tons of gods, don't you? And he says, but there's one Elohim, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist. He says there's one Elohim, and that's God the Father. And then look what he does. And there's one Yahweh, Jesus Christ. Paul does this on purpose. He's saying, you want to get to know this Yahweh? You get to know Jesus. Now, this was scandalous to the Jewish mind. Yahweh is Yahweh. And Paul is saying, no, Yahweh is Jesus Christ. They have the same essence. It's God. You want to look at God? You want to get to know what this Yahweh is like? Stare at Jesus. And if you do, you'll find out just what Yahweh is like. He goes on to say in Matthew 1.23, this is incredible. The, the, The author of Matthew says... Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? There's that promise. I'm with you. Do you see it? Do you see it? Do you see it? Do you see it? Not just with us. Oh, my gosh. He's with us. He was born. And then this beautiful promise in the end of Matthew, right? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the what? In this particular Elohim's name, this Yahweh's name, with his history, with his people, with his character, revealed by scripture of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And then what's the final words? And what's the promise? Do you see it? I'm with you. Old Testament, New Testament, it doesn't matter. The promises are the same. I've seen your suffering. I'm with you. So the word, this commandment about taking God's name in vain is so much bigger than saying OMG. It means we must be diligent pursuers of the character of God. This is sobering. It means if we say to someone, God doesn't care about that, we better be really sure God doesn't care about that. It means in our interactions with one another, when we act with the name of Christ on us as followers of Christ, we should know our leader. We have to be diligent and precise about the nature and the character of this God, which means we have to do the hard work of getting to know him. Will we do it perfectly? No, we can't. But this screams against arrogance and ignorance. We must be diligent. And this is the invitation of this Yahweh. Get to know me. Get to know me. Follow me. Get to know what I am like. Because if you do... 
you'll be talking about an Elohim, the likes of which this world has never heard of. Think about all the gods in this Silicon Valley. Will they give their lives for those who worship them? Does money give its life? Does career give its life? This Elohim is like nothing we've ever seen. This Elohim is above all. This Elohim is the most beautiful, captivating idea and reality in the history of the world. So to Moses and to all of us, this is the beauty of God's invitation in his name. This is the invitation, even in the commandment. I've seen your suffering. I know you. I know you. I'm with you. Get to know me. Would you pray with me? Father, Yahweh, Jesus, Son, Spirit. Would you do incredible work in us that we might get to know you better? No matter where we are in our relationship with you, you have so much to show us about the beauty of your character. And you have so much that you want to do inside of us so that we might reflect the glory of your character with a little bit more precision. Would you clean us up? Would you work on us and in us? And would you help us know you so that with certainty we can say to others who do not know you, who have never heard of you about the beauty of this particular Elohim, this Jesus. Maybe so. Thank you that you always are what you always are. It is astonishing to us that you don't run out of love, patience, goodness, justice, or mercy. It is astonishing. May we continue to be astonished as we get to know you. It is in your name that we pray. Amen.